Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Plenty going on in the world of Syracuse Athletics. Francesco Simone and Ian Unsworth hopping on Fizz 5 this week to talk about it all. We've got the football transfer portal. we got the coaching staff transfer portal. we got men's basketball, maybe some starting lineup changes coming up, and a big game tomorrow against Cornell. Well, big in the sense that it's a game they can't lose. And then, of course, men's soccer, the first national championship in program history. Syracuse title town, hey. Why not? We'll take whatever we can get, right? Francesco Simone and Ian Onsworth on Fizz 5. Let's go. Number one. Topic number one for myself and Ian, the transfer portal. Ian, the portal giveth and the portal taketh away. Syracuse, a couple of big additions and some big losses along the way as well. Francesco, I knew you were going there with the, with the giveth, taketh away thing. I mean, that was a that was a lock from the beginning. It's a lock. Uh-huh. It's a layup. It's it's so easy because it's happening to every single program in the country right now. Guys are coming and going at at warp speed. I mean, more people are entering the transfer portal than ever. There were over a thousand dudes in the portal three days after it opened up. How how many football programs are there? What, a hundred eighty something? That sounds about at the at the at the FBS level. I think it's like one thirty something along those lines. So there are over a thousand guys in the portal. So that means you're probably, I mean, you're taking at least eight to ten guys from every program. Then you throw in the sprinkle of FCS guys that are good enough to, you know, jump up a level. Jeez, so much turnover. And again, we've got it all covered on our website, theorangefizz.com, and on Twitter at orangefizz. The Syracuse side of things is how much can you regain from what you've lost, I think, is is where we are at this point. Francesco, would you agree? Yeah, I, I think I would agree with you there, Ian. Uh, the biggest loss so far has to be Deuce Chestnut, right? I think we're, we're both on the same page there, right? Yeah, you and I you and I are level there. The, the Carter thing hurts, too, just because you need a safety to really stick. You need a you need a corner. Yes, but I mean, look, corners in this defense are are kind of they're on their own little island, right? They're in their own little world. That Dino Baber said it himself after that Purdue game. When corners come here, they're going to be challenged. They're going to be left on an island. So, in one sense of things, you got to be really good. But in the other sense, there's not a whole lot to to think about or learn once you see that receiver trot out to across from you. You kind of know, hey, it's you and me, buddy, mano a mano. Now, Jihad Carter, on the other hand, he's got a lot more to do. We saw him cover in the slot, right? We saw him drop back deep and play that center field role. We saw him come up in the run game. And now you're missing a defensive coordinator, right? Someone else has to implement a system, and you want experienced guys on the back end. So there aren't safeties besides Elijah Clark. And, I mean, if Eric Coley finds a seventh year of eligibility somewhere – I mean, it's it's probably kicking around with Devon Cooper's locker. Uh, but seriously, you need you need guys to help implement that scheme from the back end. And so that's where I think that the Carter loss really hurts. You got proven corners in Wilson and Johnson still around. You don't have that many proven safeties. 
It begs the question, you know, because I saw this kind of circulating in the Twitter world, which is, as we both know, maybe not the best place to go for opinions that are. It's it's volatile when it comes to the portal. Yeah, right. But like opinions based in fact, maybe that's not the best place to go. But I, I saw a lot of, you know, things floating around there that Deuce Chestnut isn't what everybody thinks he is. A little overrated, had a great freshman year, maybe a little bit of a down sophomore year. I don't completely disagree with that. I don't think Deuce Chestnut is Garrett Williams. Uh, but he's still a fantastic player. It was a big-time loss, in my opinion. He's a starting corner. You're not going to find a proven starting corner anywhere else. Deuce got picked on this year because everyone knew what Garrett Williams was. And then once Garrett went down, people started picking on Isaiah Johnson. That's just how things work. You go for the Achilles heel, the weak point. What, what offense doesn't do that sort of thing? Deuce is undersized. I think that's the one thing people don't – point out enough we've seen that guy walking around the Syracuse campus not six foot for as a corner it doesn't matter that much but Deuce is is a solid five nine maybe five ten right so it's not all what it's cracked up to be and that's partially on Syracuse athletics you know they they got to promote their players they got to make them look good might be small but his ball hawking skill is there you just wonder what happens when he moves on. And Francesco, that's what I'm really wondering for, for Deuce's sake, right? The name is big. It's splashy. You got a freshman All-ACC honoree on there. So where does he go? Because I really think that impacts how he he performs and how he, this affects his draft stock. Because I wrote just yesterday a, a, about why these players are leaving. And I thought it was, hey, their NFL draft years are coming around for both Carter and Chestnut. They don't want to have to deal with a new coordinator. They don't want to have to, you know, put themselves in jeopardy of having a team that's taken a step back from 2022 to 2023. They want to be in a great situation, whether that's Nebraska or or otherwise. So where do you think, Francesco, Deuce ends up? And does it benefit him or does it detract from his draft stock? Well, if you talk about the draft stock, right, the the obvious answer is he's going to follow Tony White to Nebraska. But – you go to the Big Ten, that's a big that's a big step up in competition, is it not? I mean, sure, the big, you know, Big Ten football, run the ball, yada, 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 right? Play good defense, control the line of scrimmage, maybe not the same kind of you know, aerial attack that you might see out of some ACC competition. But there's a lot of really, really good players in the Big Ten. It's a better conference than the ACC is. So is that going to test them more if that's what happens? Yeah, it will. Could it expose them more? Yeah, it might, right? So it's always a gamble. If he, if he had stayed at Syracuse, Based on the news we're hearing, and we're going to get into it in topic number two, Syracuse is not going away from the 3-3-5 defense. It's going to be the same kind of defense next next year that it was this year, the year before that, and the year before that. If he had come back one more year in the system, you're familiar with everything around you, because that's a big part of it too, Ian, is familiarity not just with your defensive coordinator, with your position coaches, with, you know, you go to this place on Monday morning, on Tuesday afternoon you're at this place, right? There is that level of comfortness that wherever he ends up going, because Listen, he's not going to Alabama, right? He's not going to Georgia. He's going to go to a good team, a good program, right? He is not a top of the top of the top level player. I don't think in my opinion, at least he's not. So wherever he ends up in, could it be a step up name-wise from Syracuse? Yeah, sure, it could be, right? But Garrett Williams is going to be drafted in the NFL. Trill Williams got a shot in the NFL until he got hurt. Hopefully he gets another one, right? Andre Sisco's gotten a shot. Uh, Ify Melifonwu's gotten a shot. Syracuse defensive backs get drafted. So if your goal is to increase your draft stock, 
I don't think you have to leave Syracuse, not at his position at least. I think the positive for Syracuse, when you talk about the drafting stuff, they keep finding diamonds in the rough, right? And the guys that have stuck around are the coaches, Nick Monroe, Chip West. Those guys, before Tony White got here, and hopefully after Tony White has left the program, those guys will keep finding diamonds in the rough. And with the transfer portal now, you have so many cracks at finding these guys. You can go in and, and pick up three or four dudes and hopefully have something like that. And Nick Monroe, <laughs> to his credit, he's already gotten two dudes out of the portal in the snap of a finger right after, first, well, Jeremiah Wilson, who was a backup corner, entered the portal, left, coming back to Syracuse after Deuce put his name in the portal. Try to stay with me here, folks. This, this is going to be a lot, a lot of uh, mental math and, and gymnastics here. Then, Jaden Gould, Nebraska's former number one recruit in its 2021 class, a four-star from New Jersey, commits to Syracuse. Same day as Deuce leaves. Jihad Carter enters the portal Thursday, I believe. Francesco, am I am I right on that Thursday? Jihad was was Friday. Was Friday. Friday. Either either late either late Thursday or early Friday. One okay. I believe it was late Thursday because we are recording this on Friday. So I think Thursday, like Thursday midday. So Jihad leaves, and then today, Friday, December 16th, the Orange get a commit from Jaden Bellamy, who is also a New Jerseyan a four-star prospect who spent a year at Notre Dame. So not like we have a lot of film on these guys, Francesco. Only spent one year at their schools, didn't play a lot. But we know Syracuse has, you know, they're lacking in the NIL department, right? The campus is, is nice. It's a great place to be. But again, it's not a Southern school where it's 70 all the time, right? They're, they're, we know the obvious drawbacks to recruiting players to Syracuse. But with the portal, Nick Monroe, swag daddy himself with all his genius, has multiple cracks to go and get these guys. And I think that's what's most valuable. You can sell that NFL dream that you mentioned right away and bring in more talent. Yeah, 100% right, Ian. And you mentioned the, the defensive backs. One guy you didn't mention, Braylon Ingram. Syracuse got a transfer from Alabama? What? A guy who went to Alabama is coming to Syracuse? Now listen. This is not Quinn and Williams from back in the day, right? I understand that. But a 300-pounder in the middle of that defense, how many times did we mention at some point this year, Ian, Syracuse is too small on the defensive line? You know, Kayvon Darton, God bless him, he's 250 pounds soaking wet. You need like right? a staples button to just keep knocking it over and over again. <laughs> exactly, right? But So you I mean, you mentioned the defensive backs. You add Braylon Ingram to the middle of that defense. Sure, you lose Deuce, right? You lose Jihad Carter. In the end, this could be a net positive. There could be a net gain already in this offseason, in the transfer report. It's possible, even with all the negativity around losing. Let's be honest, right? The negativity really comes from losing Deuce from a fan, boy, from a fan base standpoint. Carter hurts, right? But Deuce is the guy that if he didn't leave, I think people would be ecstatic right now. So the fact that you lose him, but you bring in the rest of these guys, yeah, hey, listen, the two, guys, the two defensive backs, Bellamy and Gold, they brought in, unproven, right? Deuce Chestnut. For all his flaws that he may have height-wise, he is a proven good player at the ACC level. These guys, very talented. You have no idea what they are. I haven't seen him play yet. But they could be good. They could be something, right? They could be Deuce Chestnut. They could be better than that. So if one of them, or hopefully both, become that, 
And you add in a guy who's the talent level of Braylon Ingram, who Nick Saban not very long ago said, I want that guy on my team. You don't forget how to play football in a year, right? So the talent's still there at some level. You combine all of that, there could be a net gain in my opinion. And Ingram medically retired last year and then decided to leave Alabama, return to football. So hopefully he's passed any injuries that could, uh, that have kept him back. And speaking of injuries, you have to wonder, how much is Terry Lockett going to give the Orange next year coming off his own season-ending injury? So the, all that combined, when, and even if Syracuse kept, keeps Terry Lockett, he comes back at 100%, gets better over the offseason. You, you need more size inside. You kick Terry Lockett out to play the end with Caleb Okachukwu. That's a good D-line, right? You've got Wax and Thompson back at the linebacker spots. Hopefully Derek McDonald gets healthy. All this is coming together to be a pretty – similar Syracuse defense talent-wise to what we saw this year. So you have to like all those things. One more thing I want, I want to hit on Francesco. Elijah Clark, really big impact for Syracuse this year, flew under the radar. I think we here at the Fizz recognized it, but I don't think the majority of people who, if you're just looking at a box score or maybe watching the, the TV broadcast, you didn't really see it. Clark is Chestnut's best friend. That's well well reported. That's why Clark came to Syracuse from Rutgers last year. Does he go? Because those guys want to play together. That's the whole point, right? And you got to think, Clark was the first guy to wear the ski mask, right? The mob mentality, all that sort of stuff drummed up this year. Does Is that all, no more Tony White, is that all gone? Like, how does this, this defense has to find its mojo again? And if you don't have those guys that have that chemistry, I feel like that's the one thing you lose from the portal is that sense of togetherness because you're losing guys that have been together, fighting together in the trenches, working out together over the offseason for multiple years. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. Elijah Clark, as of now, still here, right? No news of him going anywhere, really not even any kind of whispers of him going anywhere, just kind of the rumor mill, like you mentioned, Ian, about you know him and Deuce are really tight. They've been friends since they were children back in Camden, right? And he tweeted five minutes after Deuce left. It was like, brother with a crying emoji. So that kind of made people think, oh, okay, what's going to happen now? But don't you kind of get the feeling that if he was going to leave, we would have heard something by now? I mean, it's been what? How long has it been since Deuce transferred? Three, four days already? Yeah. So I feel like if he was going to leave, maybe we would have heard about it by now. Maybe he's going to wait to see where Deuce goes to see if he can get to where Deuce goes. Because if Deuce goes somewhere maybe bigger than we're expecting, maybe they're not going to want Elijah Clark, right? That is a possibility. As good of a player as he was for Syracuse, deuces have a, a higher ilk. I think we both agree with that. So there, there is that element to it. But you're right about the whole togetherness, right? The mob mentality, the Tony White thing. Problem is, Ian, everybody's dealing with that, right? Everybody's losing people. Everybody's bringing people in. You mentioned it. How many players was it? 1,000, 2,000 in the transfer portal in a week? Yeah, 1,000 in like, that? like four days. Yeah, exactly. So everybody's going through this. So it's not, it's kind of unavoidable from a Syracuse standpoint, not avoidable for any team in the country in the era of NIL transfer portal that we live in. That's going to do it for topic number one. We're going to go over from player carousel to coaching carousel. That's topic number two. Number two. So Ian, you lose Robert and I and Tony White on the same day, right? You promote Jason Beck to, to offensive coordinator. Easy, right? I Anybody could have told you that was going to happen. Honestly, Syracuse fans might look back at this five years from now and say that was a net positive. Because Jason Beck and, and Robert and I, the whole together thing, the package deal, was not going to last very long. Because Beck would have eventually left 
to get an offensive coordinator job. Now when Nye leaves, you promote Beck and you get the same ideas, less experience, obviously, but in a much younger form and a lot more upside, I think, with Jason Beck than you would have had with Robert Nye, who's in his 60s, right? As good as he was this season. On the defensive side, Tony White, to me, was the a million times the bigger loss compared to Robert and I. Yeah, a lot of questions as to what they would do. Would they just promote Nick Monroe? He's going to uh, coach the defense in the bowl game. Would he just become the permanent defensive coordinator? Some news we got today doesn't look like that's the case. Well, we're still waiting for official confirmation. The only, the only uh, outlet that's been reporting it is ESPN Radio Albuquerque. Uh, <laughs> we don't know how trusted their sources are. So, Francesco, you and I are looking at this with an eyebrow raised with with a potential grain or two of salt to throw at it. Fair, fair. That Rocky Long, the father of the 3-3-5 defense, could be coming to Syracuse to to pretty much keep the continuity of what Tony White built. Rocky Long is the father of the of this this scheme. And then some names Syracuse fans might remember, Zach Arnett was supposed to be Syracuse's defensive coordinator back in, I believe that was 20, hmm, after the 2019 season. Syracuse was planning on hiring Zach Arnett. And he was the Syracuse defensive coordinator for about a span of two days and then got hired away by Mike Leach, may he rest in peace, at Mississippi State. Yeah, think Josh McDaniels, head coach of the Colts, that kind of time frame. Yeah, so Arnett went and came and went, and now he's Mississippi State's new head coach. Uh, They're finalizing a deal. But I I thought, huh, maybe Arnett has second thoughts, and then, you know, that whole situation transpired. But if Rocky Long, the the godfather of the 335 himself, is to come to Syracuse, nothing should change, right? Nothing schematically full philosophically should change but Francesco Rocky Long is 72 you wonder how much juice does he have on the recruiting trail how much does that change the relation is Rocky Long throwing out a mob mentality ward list every week maybe not you would that's that's a lot of juice to lose from White who's still a younger guy still you know on the cusp of coaching how much does that affect what the players think? Because Nick Monroe, like we, I already called him the swag daddy. Like that guy knows what it takes to get good football players into Syracuse and to keep them developing. Yeah, listen, you're uh, you're right, Ian. I mean, we have no idea. I, listen, I've never heard Rocky Long speak. Right, I've never met the guy, so I, I can't tell you. Is he a Jim Beheim type of 72-year-old, or is he a Ric Flair type of 72-year-old? And I, I can't answer that question, right? Uh, but at the same time, the continuity you keep with the scheme to me is is massive, right? It took a year and a half, really, to implement the 335. It was ugly for a while, oh, finally yeah. got it into place, and now it's really good. You don't want to go through that again with a new scheme, right? And even I know I understand COVID was part of it. The 335 is hard to learn, yada, 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 right? It's a really good scheme. It's working out. It's getting guys to come here. It's getting guys to the NFL. Keep it, use it win with it because it's working right so keep that at all costs the fact that you go to rocky long as opposed to a nick monroe dino babers knows more about nick monroe than i do right if he thought nick monroe was ready to be a defensive coordinator i think nick monroe would be the defensive coordinator same thing with with jason beck if dino thought monroe's ready easy elevate him up you don't have to go to new mexico 
hire Rocky Long, convince him to come here, probably pay him more money than he would have had to pay Nick Monroe. Again, we don't know, right? We don't know the guy. We don't know how good schematically he is. We think he's good with the players. Seems like he is, right? So hopefully you get him to stay from that perspective, and hopefully he develops into a defensive coordinator type that can take over once Rocky Long decides to hang him up. It's it's difficult, right? Like, best-case scenario here, Ian, Tony White stays. He's the successor to Dino Babers, and off we go, right? It's not what happened. So you have to pick option B. Just a, It's a, just a matter of do you think this is option B or you think something else is option B as opposed to option C? Dino chose Rocky Long? Maybe. Maybe. Right. We'll see what until it's finalized. But we think Dino might be choosing Rocky Long. It tells me that he wants that veteran presence in the room. I wish Dino had dropped the bag on, on Tony White in August. I think John Eads, one of our Fizz staffers, was asking for it, and I'm sure the receipts are still up on our website. Oh, he'll tell you they are too. Oh, he'll yes, John Eads will let you know. Uh, that that's a that's a real big disappointment. I think that if when the the Dino to Purdue rumors floated around, I don't think anyone in Syracuse would have batted an eye if Tony White was promoted to head coach. That's like that's how fond of him people were, and I think that's how much of a positive he was for this program, getting everything trending in the right direction. Now, all that being said, Francesco, you bring me to my next thought. Is there someone else that Syracuse can go after? And unfortunately, it, it, there are not many teams out there that are running the base three three five defense. More and more every year, though, but you're right. It's not It's not as common as it, I think, eventually will be. I just, I just have to wonder, is there someone younger – that Dino can go after that's not maybe a Nick Monroe per se, maybe someone with defensive coordinator experience, but is there someone else Dino can look towards who will bring a youthful energy? I think that's what really resonated with the defense that you know, the mob thing, right? The, the buy-in from all those guys, the, the, the continuity and, and the, the group mentality that they all had together. That, that comes with someone that can speak their language. And I don't know. Like, I'm just not excited by the, by the prospect of bringing a 72-year-old. Yes, the, con the continuity is nice, but you can get continuity from Nick Monroe. Can you not? You can, but at the same time, is he the same kind of schematic coach that Rocky Long is, right? That's kind of the balance. Do you want the rah-rah young guy going to relate to the players, this, that, and the other thing? might suffer a little bit in terms of what you do on the field. With Rocky Long, you know this, right? He's going to be prepared. He's going to have those guys ready to play. Every cliche you want to throw out there, from a schematic standpoint, he's going to be great because this is his defense. It's his baby. He's been running it for years. So in terms of quality of preparation, quality of scheme, not going to get any better than that. But, you know, you bring up a point, right? It's a balancing act of he's 72 years old, right? He's going to have you ready. He's going to have you well-prepared. But is he going to create the same kind of juice? It's a question that I think is going to be answered. Should Rock again? Should Rocky Long actually be the hire? It's a question that's going to be, I think, very much asked a lot during fall camp next year and early in the season. People are going to be looking at, okay, are these guys reacting the same way or in a similar way that they were to Tony White? And if not, and there's going to be some scrutiny there as to D uh, Dino's decision. All right, that's going to get us off football. It is basketball season after all, even all with all this carousel in the player and playing department and the coaching department on the football side. Men's basketball has got a game tomorrow against Cornell, but in topic number three, Ian and I answer, is the starting lineup going to change and should it? Number three. 
Judah Mintz, Joe Girard, Chris Bell, Benny Williams, and Jesse Edwards. Those five have started every single game for Syracuse so far this season. Sometimes successfully, sometimes not as successful, right? And in some players, more successfully than others. Ian, my question to you is, is Chris Bell going to be in the starting lineup on Tuesday against Pittsburgh when ACC play starts, or will it be Justin Taylor? Gosh, I could I could give you a reason why, and I can give you a reason why not. That's how conflicted I am on this issue. Hit me. A reason why Chris Bell is in the starting line. Jim Beheim is too stubborn to change, right? And he's also yeah, hell-bent this year, in my opinion, on playing his most talented players, right? There's something to be said for recruiting stars and all that sort of stuff, keeping guys around like the portal with like we just talked about playing your most talented players in this type of type in this you know stage of college basketball really counts and Jim even though he's he's highly against all the, the portal and the NIL stuff he knows that in the in the deep recesses of his mind so he's going to continue to play Chris Bell because Chris Bell recruiting rankings wise and if you just threw all five if you threw every man on the Syracuse roster in a pickup game with no rules, Chris Bell would probably be one of the five best players out there. Now, the reason why he won't. Chris Bell does not rebound. We know this. And Jim Beheim has a trope one a year. Last year it was Jesse wasn't ready. This year, it's the forwards don't rebound. The stats back him up. I'm on Ken Palm right now looking at this, looking at Syracuse's contributors. And so Chris Bell is grabbing a rebound on Five percent of Syracuse's defensive possessions this year. Syracuse plays about 67, 68 possessions, and the Orange have now played a good amount of games. Right? We're we're midway through the season. The Almost. Team, yeah. The team is eight and four. So multiply sixty-eight by twelve, and then take five percent of that. A lot of math, but. It's a small number. Chris Bell is not getting nearly enough rebounds. And at some point, Jim probably just snaps and puts Malik Brown in and, and won't won't change it. Will it hurt to not have shooters on the floor? Yes. But either you're getting stubborn, Jim, or you're getting fed up, Jim. You're getting one of the two. And that's what that's his mood will determine whether Chris Bell starts or doesn't start. See, that's interesting, though. I said, are they going to go to Justin Taylor? You took it a completely different direction. You went with Chris Bell versus Malik Brown, which they tried a little bit on Monday against Monmouth. They played Brown and Benny Williams together for maybe five minutes. It didn't last very long. Then they switched it up. And Jim said in the press conference after the game, he said, listen, we're a little bit better rebounding like that with Benny at the three and, and Brown at the four. But there's just not enough shooting there. Neither of oh, them can yeah. shoot. Benny, no, a little can't. bit, a, a little bit from the mid-range, right? Just a, a tiny, teensy, tiny bit from the mid-range, even though Jim will tell you he's not good at that either, right? So when you play Brown and, and Benny together, you can't shoot. But when you play Bell on the floor, or even Taylor, Taylor hasn't been great in the boards either, let's be honest, then he can't rebound. To me, the upside of a Taylor or a Bell, I, I think Taylor is very close to being in the starting lineup, is his upside from a shooting perspective on a team that desperately lacks shooting, right? Joe Girard's the only guy you can count on, and you can count on him maybe, you know, 
two out of three games or two out of four games, depending on the week, it seems like. Just spin the roulette wheel and see. Exactly, right? So when that's the when that's the case, right? And I know Jim is going to say, you don't have to take threes to win, you know, this, that, and the other thing. You got to have some kind of threat, right? You can't play basketball like it's 1962. You can't just like, you know, you can't have five guys on the court and none of them are shooting, have the ability to shoot. So that element to me says Justin Taylor or Chris Bell has to stay in the starting lineup. If you want rebounding, to me, what you do is you move Benny to the bench and you start Malik Brown over him. Because Malik Brown's a really good rebounder. He can't shoot either. But you know what? You have a low post player. Sounds good to me. To me, Bell or Taylor has to start. I don't think there's I don't think there's any way around it. Yeah, let's let's not act like Benny is out here getting buckets. Syracuse has been no. running offense for him this year, which is something they did not do at all last year. That's a major change, giving Ben Benny the ball at the elbow, where honestly he looks the most comfortable when he's given a one-on-one at the elbow and he, you kind of know up oh, he's, he's going to dribble a couple times, take a jumper, but at least he looks comfortable. It seems like this is a spot where he feels he can excel. Uh, I mean, other than that, and uh, you know, a big dunk or a big block every once in a while where you're like, Oh yeah, this guy was a four or five star recruit coming out of high school. You, you, I don't know. You're kind of shrugging your shoulders at Benny Williams. And then you're also shrugging your shoulders at bell and, Besides that Bryant game, what have we seen from Justin Taylor that really wows us? Yeah, no, I mean, that that's the game that makes you dream, right? It's it's the Buddy Bayheim comparisons coming in. It's the Bryant game and the occasional three. You're 100% right. But at least he's got that Bryant game. Uh, Bell doesn't. Yeah, Bell, I mean, Bell was good in the Bryant game too, but it wasn't, he was, he was a secondary player feeding off what Justin Taylor was doing. And again, I, I now I'm starting to side with you, Francesco. I the, the I thought you bring in Malik Brown strictly because Bayheim wants rebounding. You you give him the rebound, right? You put Malik Brown in there. You you, you just kind of say, all right, we're going to quell this problem. We'll, we'll worry about the shooting when we really need it. But having Taylor on there, at least there's there's the potential. Just like you know, Gerard has the potential to go for thirty. Is he going for thirty? Probably not. Usually, we all can tell within the first two three minutes of the game. Of the game. But you might as well have another guy out there who could potentially go for 20, 25 if he's playing a team like Bryant that didn't really guard a whole lot and just ran up and down the floor. On Monday against Monmouth, uh, after, the, after the game in the press conference, one of the first guys that Jim talked about was Malik Brown. And the first thing he said was not, oh, he had a great game, which, by the way, he did. He said he's not ready. Like, I got him out there a little bit, but he's not ready. So I asked him subsequently, what do you mean he's not ready? And he said, uh, what he said was he can't shoot is basically all he said, right? He said, he's a Hakeem Warwick type player, low post, his numbers as a freshman are better than Hakeem Warwick, yada, 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 going to be a great player, this, that, and the other thing. But he's not ready, not a good enough passer, not a good enough shooter. And to that I say, who cares, right? Is Benny Williams special as a passer? Is he special as a shooter? Is John Bullajac's passing ability, although good, and is you know his defensive rotations, although good, solid, is that like necessary? Do you need that in the starting lineup to the point where Malik Brown, not even just in the starting lineup, to the point where Malik Brown's not playing? John he Bull, played against Monmouth. He didn't play at all before. John Bulls had his moments, but at the same time, there are still too many times when he looks like a flailing ball of arms and legs, and I, I don't know. 
you get as many head scratchers as you do uh, cheer worthy moments with JBA. Far for the court. Yeah, you. Do. I mean, the reason he's playing, you know, and I wrote about this last week was he's a good passer, the best of the forwards. He had four assists against Notre Dame, which was which was a game high. Think about that. John Bullishock had a game high in assists for Syracuse this season in a game they won. And he's he's good def- defensively in terms of his zone rotations. He can. Go behind Jesse when he goes up to the free throw line. He can move up and down on the wings. He, he knows what he's doing, at least. And plus, you know, 6'10 with a long wingspan. He is a valuable defender. But you got a kid of Malik Brown who, in my opinion, I think in three years from now, kids are going to be running all around the city of Syracuse wearing Malik Brown jerseys. I think he's going to be a fan favorite for mm. this team over the next three years. He's not even playing? I mean, really? You have to beg for him to get some minutes against Monmouth? To me, it doesn't sit well. All right, so we, we say all that to say this, I guess. Probably no lineup change coming from Jim Beheim. I mean, if it is, it'll be Taylor for Bell. But will it change the impact of the games? Uh, you just shrug your shoulders and probably shake your head No, You need one of Taylor or Bell to be a real contributor. One of them has to be fill the role that, you know, the Swiders, the Beheims were filling last year in terms of shooting. Haven't done it consistently yet. They're freshmen. Freshmen, it's going to take some time. But you hope that one of them is going to figure it out and become that, that perimeter threat that Syracuse needs and its offense going forward. That's going to bring us to topic number four. One game left in non-conference play before ACC play starts. That's tomorrow against Cornell, and it's topic number four. Number four. The first time a Bayheim has not been in uniform in a Syracuse-Cornell matchup, Ian, since? 2016. Bang. Since 2016. Cornell comes into this one at 7-2 out of the Ivy League. 167, ranked by Ken Palm. Not a bad opponent, Ian. Not a bad opponent at all. If Syracuse doesn't show up in this game, there's a chance they lose. Well, Cornell just put up 105 in a loss to Miami. It was yeah. 107-105. to 105. Yeah. Reminds me of that, that Pistons-Nuggets game from the 80s when they scored a combined like 300-something points. But Cornell shoots really well. Very good. Top 10 in the country in both effective field goal percentage, which is a combination of your twos and threes, and also two-point percentage shooting. Third in the nation at over 60%. So Cornell will get good shots, and they won't take bad ones, is what that all of that means. If they're taking threes, they're high percentage threes, and they're trying to get the ball down low. There's no there's no Jimmy Bayheim anymore for Cornell. You can't throw him in the high post. And just like with most mid-major teams, not a whole lot of size. Tallest guy, Sean Hansen, 6'9". Right? So the, this is another Jesse Edwards premium matchup. Premium day for Jesse Edwards to go get himself a bucket. Yeah, I mean, Jesse struggled a little bit on Monday against Monmouth, but they, Monmouth's got some size. Amon Sandu at 7'1", Miles Foster only 6'7", but a solid 250 pounds. And Jim said it again after that game. He said Jesse still struggles with big, strong guys. You mentioned it, Cor- Cornell's tallest guy, only 6'9". Get him the ball in the post, let him go to work, run the pick and roll with him and Judah, with him and Gerard, whatever the case may be. Attack Cornell's defense that way. You got the size advantage down low. Use it. Cornell, defensively, 265th in the nation, according to Ken Palm. Offensively, and you mentioned it, they're good. 104th. Not a bad offensive team at all, but the defense, not up to snuff, right? You mentioned where so you attacked it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, for, go ahead. Go I'm, ahead, I'm yeah, just go. saying you got to ramp up Edwards before you get to Pitt on Tuesday. 
because John Hewley, not that big, 6'9", but he will out-rebound the crap out of you. He goes for every single ball. And Edwards, we want to talk about Ken Palm stats. Edwards grabbing, Edwards is grabbing defensive rebounds on over a quarter of Syracuse's possessions. So you know, someone's got to get those rebounds if Chris Bell isn't doing it. So you got to get Edwards ramped up, ready to go, right? Shake off whatever happened against Monmouth, get him going against Cornell, you know, sit him for the last ten minutes, hopefully, and just but just get him in a good state where he can head into ACC play and be aggressive. John Hughley for Pitt was the uh, the reason for one of Jim Beheim's Jesse rants last year when he said he's not ready, even though he was averaging you know twelve points and eight rebounds a game. But Ian, let me ask you this: transitioning away from Cornell specifically and going a little bit more macro, non-conference play ends tomorrow, right? You're seven and four, you're six and four in non-con because you beat Notre Dame in ACC win. If you take it tomorrow, you're eight and four, seven and four non-con, losses to Bryant and to uh, Colgate. Jesus, that was a long time ago. Colgate, Bryant and Colgate, and then of course you lost to St. John's as well. Give me a grade for Syracuse's non-conference play if they beat Cornell tomorrow, and then a great if they lose to Cornell tomorrow. Oh, well, if they lose, look, losing to Colgate's one thing. This is a Colgate's a good team. NCAA tournament team. Brian as well, NCAA tournament team. Um, both, I mean, both of those teams came into the Dome and played their style of basketball. Colgate, you know, jack happy threes. Brian, you know, scrappy, in-your-face, disruptions with Jared Grosso and, you know, like that's what those teams do year after year. Cornell doesn't really have a style. They don't really have an identity besides fundamental offense. So you got to be Cornell. There's no, no bones about it. You you have to be Cornell. If you lose to Cornell, it's, it's a D minus because one mid major loss. Okay. It happens Two, Ugh, man, but you come back, you win those big ones, right? beating Notre Dame, huge, especially on the road. Beating Georgetown, even though that program is in the dumpster, huge confidence boost. And and then you you just blow away all your momentum right before ACC play with a loss to Cornell. So D minus if they lose. I don't think you can can have anything higher than a D. But if they win, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say B minus, right? You, still, those those not, those mid-major losses suck. You get pounded at Illinois, um, and the, the St. John's game, you, you just have to shrug your shoulders because those those were two really hard hard fought back to back. I mean, that's three games in four days, two of them in overtime. You can't do much about that. But I'm sticking with a B minus because you can't you can't give them anything above that for two mid-major losses. And you, you've learned a decent amount about this team. But I don't know if it's anything – like, I feel like, Francesco, what I knew about this team in day one is what I knew about – I know about this team now. Yeah, I, I think that? I would agree with you. I think the, the one thing for me that I didn't know is that Jesse would be this good. I think Jesse surpassed my expectations in terms of, you know, whether you want to say he's Armando Baycott or you want to say he's P.J. Hall or not or Derek Lively, I honestly, I don't care. He's one of the four or five best big men in the ACC, and he's in that conversation. I wasn't sure he would be there. I thought he'd be good. I didn't realize he'd be this good. But I think you're right. I, I think we 
this is kind of what we expected. Yeah, and maybe maybe Chudamints be you know being as controlled and as sure. as good as he is. But other than that, nothing has surprised me or intrigued me about Syracuse. So again, yeah. you know, just just a black a passing grade, but you know, nothing nothing's moving the needle. It's not moving the needle on the national stage unless it's downwards with those two mid-major losses. Yeah, no, I think I'm right there with you. Now, before you go into Virginia, on January 7th, I believe it is, you've got Cornell, you've got Pitt, you've got Boston College, and you've got Louisville. You win those four games, you're 11-4, going against what's probably going to be a top-10 team in the country at that point. Yeah. Now you're feeling something, right? Now you're 4-0 in ACC play. That game feels big. Give yourself a chance to do something. That's what I say. Win this game against Cornell. Beat Pitt, who's not good. Boston College is bad. Awful. Louisville might be one of the worst Power 5 teams. The in the worst. Not might be. The worst. It, it's the worst Power 5 team in the country, right? Them and Florida State are right there right there together in the in the basement of you know, the basement of hell, basically. Those two teams reside. So beat, beat who you're supposed to beat. Go to Virginia. Probably going to get stomped, but you know what? At least you get excited for that game. Fair? Yeah, and... Being who you're supposed to beat is a good baseline for the freshmen to get get ACC play under their shoes to understand what it takes going forward, so that in two years this team will be competitive. I, I don't there you go. look even if they beat win every game they're supposed to win, quote unquote, they're not making the turn. No, no. But hey, can you finish? You know, seventh, eighth in the ACC. I think that's possible. There's a yeah. lot of bad teams in the ACC, man. There, there, and there can be some chances for moral victories late in the season. You know, take a couple wins into the ACC tournament, win a game there. All right, at least there's progress being made. Francesco, speaking of tournament winners, you want to wrap us up? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of tournament winners, not the men's basketball team, we presume. Although, hey, listen, who knows what's going to happen all the way in March. But one team that we don't have to guess on, we know for a fact, national champions, Syracuse men's soccer. And that's topic number five. Number five. All right, Ian, let me, let me take you someplace right now, all right? On Monday, inside the Dome, Syracuse is taking on Monmouth in basketball. It's halftime, right? Syracuse has a two-point lead. They put on the Jumbotron penalty kicks between down in Cary, North Carolina for the national championship. Anthony Sinclair steps up to the spot. Just a beauty of a penalty. Sends the Dome into a frenzy. And Syracuse men's soccer for the first time ever. National champions. I know you covered the team a lot this year. You called a lot of games for them. Just give me an overall... You know, did you let's start the year. Did you ever think this could have happened at the beginning of the season? No, absolutely not. Syracuse was picked to finish ninth in the ACC. The, the expectations were, 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 they weren't low, but they weren't through the roof like they'll, they'll be for the next couple of years. But over the season, you, you got to, you got a feeling of what this team was about. And then it made a lot of sense. So many upperclassmen. So, like, I don't think a single freshman stepped on, unless maybe we might have a redshirt freshman in there, but I don't think a single freshman stepped on the field for Syracuse this season. So much experience, so much loaded talent at the top end, and Ian McIntyre has been around for a long time, and he just keeps on adjusting. He stays with his principles, but they would do small things to adjust throughout, and constantly compete I only lost two games this entire year well matches excuse me that's what they're called in the soccer world and they were both at home so the team was undefeated on the road 
didn't lose in tournament play. And the resolve, I think, all comes back to that experience, right? Coach has been here forever, been in the College Cup before, a team that is grizzled, bunch of veterans. That's that's kind of what all what all made sense for me, right? Never going to be the most talented team soccer recruiting-wise, but the most experienced with the best system. Talk to me a little bit about Ian, about uh, Ian McIntyre. We've all seen you know, the clips online, him thanking the fans when they came back from Kerry. You know, the, the quips in the press conference. He seems like a really He, he awesome was guy. like that every single time I sat down with him for an ACC Network extra coaches call. Like, he genuinely is like that all the time, 24-7. One of the one of the nicest human beings on the planet was always willing to chat with us in a pregame, postgame, anything we could do, you know, anything he could do to help us, he would. And my analyst, uh, former SU coach Dean Fody, would go to practices and and just sit on the side, watch practice, chat with Ian every once in a while. So they they really helped us out. And also, he's you know he's animated on the sideline. His accent is in full full voice. Sometimes we could hear it from the press box, but he he truly is like exactly the same guy when you meet him off the field as when you see him coaching. He's just as involved with the players. He loves the game of soccer just as much, and I think he really represents the university well. It's also really cool how how much people got into it, right? In terms of just on campus and the community in general, you had thousands of people in the dome an hour and a half before tip off of Syracuse and Monmouth watching a soccer game on a big screen. Right. If I told you that six months ago, nobody would have, would have ever believed that. Right. And if people talk about, you know, the revenue sports of football, men's basketball and men's lacrosse to a degree, but it's cool to see that it's soccer, right. Men's soccer garnered that much enthusiasm women's from lacrosse a also does the same but again central new york yeah. or even yeah. just the state of new york is lacrosse if you if you really think hard and hard and fast about it you know from long island to rochester and everywhere in between that is lacrosse country it's not necessarily soccer you know soccer territory that is north carolina that is virginia those those areas those hotbeds it, it, you know people buy into that sort of stuff and uh, that's the kind of thing that you know, I'm sure John Wildhack will hang his hat on it. Uh, and as crazy as it sounds like, those are the kind of things that bring success to the university. And that's good publicity. Like You can't complain. Not that Syracuse has had bad publicity besides those mid-major losses. I just we mentioned a couple couple minutes ago. But that's that's always a good feeling, I think, for everyone on campus, everyone around the university. It's it's a rallying point of such, and Syracuse needs one of those right now. Yeah, absolutely. Levante Johnson up for the Max Herman, which is the Heisman of college soccer, or or the or the, or the Hobie Baker, soccer, whichever one, or you or the whatever. It's the N the MVP MVP. Yeah, there you go. The MVP of of college men's soccer. So a fantastic story on the men's soccer side. We send out our congratulations to Coach McIntyre and his team. Awesome to see. A lot of fun to be in the dome when that happened. That was a really cool atmosphere to be a part of. And Ian, I know you had a great yeah, time. Yeah, it was a blast. I long. mean, I I was at SU Soccer Stadium on the broadcast for all three of the home NCAA tournament games, and it was it it was one of those things where like you don't realize it's happening until you're in it, and then they win, and you're like, dang, this team's gonna go do something special. That that was very cool.
yeah, cer- certainly a cool couple of months for the men's soccer team and for the university as a whole. That was a, uh, it was certainly a neat moment to see the community come together behind these guys like that. And uh, again, congratulations to them. That's going to wrap it up for Ian and myself on this week's edition of Fizz 5. Be sure to check out our, all our content at theorangefizz.net and at, at orangefizz on Twitter. We'll have some coverage of the Syracuse Cornell matchup on Saturday. That's all for us, Francesco Simone, alongside Ian Unsworth. And as always, go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.